Hi, I'm Dave Miranda, General Counsel and Past President of the New York State Bar Association. Welcome to Miranda Warnings. You have the right to remain listening. This week on Miranda Warnings, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and facial recognition technology. We're very pleased to have with us today Vivian Wesson. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you. Vivian Wesson is General Counsel to the Board of Pensions of the Presbyterian Church. She also serves as chair of the New York State Bar Association Committee on Attorney Professionalism. She's a delegate to the Bar Association's House of Delegates and a member of NISBA's new working group on facial recognition technology. Vivian, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, artificial intelligence and facial recognition technology. I know uh, you recently wrote an article in Bloomberg Law calling for federal regulation of facial recognition technology. Just for starters, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what facial recognition technology is and uh, how it's used. Absolutely. And thank you again, David, for this opportunity to speak with you and to your listeners. Um, I am a big fan and advocate of Miranda Warnings uh, uh, programming. So Thank you very much uh, for allowing me an additional platform to discuss uh, facial recognition technology. When you think about um, the ability to have an, an, a, a digital signature of oneself, uh, no different than a, a fingerprint, uh, how the, the complexion and, and tone of your features of your face do identify you. Although I've been, and I'm sure you from time to time have been accused of having a doppelganger, uh, I'll be walking down the street and someone will say, oh, hey, Carmen. Oh, you're not Carmen. Well, facial recognition technology uses machine learning to um, come up with this comparison, not just relying on the naked eye. Um, and it sprang out of really computer vision back in the 1960s when they really were trying to um, develop something that would allow a really more rapid recognition of someone for benign and you know, hopefully benevolent purposes. But what it really uh, does is take a set of um, uh, facial data. So this will be um, images uh, of like hundreds, thousands now. Some of these uh, databases have been created and ask the computer to run an analysis of the probability that I look like one of the images that are stored in the database. So wherein lies the problem is who's putting the images in the database? So the database it mainly consists of people who look like David Miranda versus people who look like me. The flaw soon became inherent that we were not being inclusive enough in these representative sets, such that the computer was not giving us an accurate prediction of uh, identifying the correct person. And the inaccuracies were more glaring when it came to um, people of color and particularly black women. First. To, to your first point, where is where is the database coming from? So where what what's the source of the input of where the the visual representations are coming from? So there are a multitude of sources that a technology company could use. There are open source um, databases of um, different bases. Um, Google um, has a a, a platform for you can use a sample data set. Um, there's some government entities who created these sample sets. And the idea was to really spur more commercial um, um, adaptation and um, 
the reconfiguration of what the technology would look like. And then there are companies that simply go through the website and scrape images off and put those into the database. And I, I know you've called for some regulation of this uh, use, but before we get to the regulation, why don't you share with us some of the ways that you're seeing that the technology is being uh, misused? So I would share with you, David, four primary areas of concern when it comes to facial recognition technology. One is when it's being used and it operates exactly as intended. And that really is more the MSG case that we can talk about later in your program, or the case where it, it does not act as intended because there are inherent algorithmic biases within the technology and no one really had a clear understanding of what the training set was that produced these uh, unforeseen results. And then you just have simple misuse and abuse of the system where someone could manipulate an image such that it will create a match within the facial recognition technology by using Photoshop techniques. And lastly, it's the, it's the dystopian sort of chilling effect of the use that some um, police during post George Floyd's murder had used to surveil protesters. If you can sort of pinpoint and identify folks who are exercising their right to peaceful assembly, that has a chilling effect on you being able to exercise your constitutional right. Well, let's. I'd like to pick apart each of those. Uh, well, the proper use where you said there could be a problem, and we are going to talk about the MSG case, and and that is uh, technically the use, the manner in which it's being used is fulfilling its purpose, and and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later. But then you said there's a situation where you're using the technology, but there's an unforeseen result. What kind of problem comes from the unforeseen result of the use of this technology? So in early days, and I love that I'm saying early days when we're talking like less than a decade ago, um, some of the nascent um, programs that were released, um, a lot of you know programs that work as anticipated, such as using facial recognition technology to open up your iPhone to Aura Unlock, um, some uh, the, using it as some biometric form of encryption. Well, what happens if the system is not working as it anticipate as is anticipated, and anyone who has very similar features to you can unlock your device and use it in some nefarious which has ha happened. So that's like the, I, when I have my cell phone and it, and it has like a, if it sees your face, you can get in without using your password. Is that like yeah. that? Yeah. So being able to um, have someone mimic your your features and um, it recognizes that it's it's not working exactly as you expected it to because you should be able to pick up all of the nuances. Um, let me give you a better commercial example. When HP went to release his first webcam technology, the idea was it was tracking what was happening with your face and providing the necessary uh, amount of light such that the webcam would track you as you are. And it was you know, the boon at the time is like everyone needed to have. And we never knew how much we were going to need webcam technology during pandemic. But the problem was that it was not recognizing black faces, so it would not come on at all. 
So folks who were expecting this AI capability webcam, like they they couldn't figure out and remove and get the bug out of the system when it was first launched. Google, when it first launched its photo AI facial recognition technology, this was so, for the sole purpose of you being able to sort where well, there's pictures of grandma, there's pictures of you know Timmy at the beach, and you would have a be able to create an album collection of the people um, that the software went and sorted all of your files through. That sounds like a wonderful and beneficial application, except what it started to do was sort through people's photo albums and label black people as gorillas because it it did not have a proper training set that it could distinguish what a black face was, especially when it was juxtaposed to a white one. And then you talked about uh, another problem where there was the creation of images. Uh, and that's perhaps more of uh, artificial intelligence use, right? Um, yeah, so and you so think about how fun it is, um, the younger generation, they'll do all of these um, enhancements uh, when they, you can add, you know, certain, uh, change certain features and Photoshop yourself uh, to make yourself look more appealing when you're on Instagram or you're doing your TikTok video. Again, seems rather benign, except what if you use that from a law enforcement perspective to alter the features on the face of someone you suspect might be the criminal or the, a suspect in a in particular investigation, you run that through the facial recognition technology. Well, it's not actually looking at an image of someone, it's looking at a doctored image of someone. And if it gives you a, a false reading, that, that to me seems an abuse of a technology that really was intended to give you an appropriate match for an unaltered image. So there would be like a like a lineup of of potential suspects and then the the photos would be manipulated somehow to what to make the person look more like the suspect or make look more guilty give them beady eyes or something or <laughs> no but more I I suspect that it is this person but if I ran, ran their image like let's say the image that I took in a lineup in the facial recognition system, and it did not spit back that person. Well, if I shave the nose down a little bit, maybe oh. cheeks, then it'll come back and it's like, that person is a match to what I saw in the surveillance video oh, that now right. I have my suspect. That's not what you're supposed to do. That is an absolute abuse right. of how the technology is intended to work. If it came back that that person, in fact, is only a 70% match, it should be an investigative tool as opposed to being a dispositive in, in, um, solution to trying to find your suspect problem. All right. And it's, well, it seems like that would be uh, a terrible thing to do. That should be, it would seem as though, especially when we're dealing with criminal matters, that that would be something that's prohibited. That seems like you're putting your thumb on the scale. Um, I would assume that if the photos were manipulated, that that's something that, you know, a, a defense attorney certainly would be entitled to know and could, I would think, make uh, a lot of uh, noise about uh, if there was a prosecution. Put it this way. What if you did not enter the doctor photo into evidence that you did not indicate that that was what led you to believe that this was your particular suspect from the surveillance video? Then... It, it isn't. It never like rises to the level of light of day that the jury would even consider. Well, wait a minute. 
because that would give you, if you're a juror or you are the defense attorney, that could give you pause as to what, what's the efficacy of the actual identification if you're relying on the computer to do it. If the computer is doing its job as is intended and you put an unaltered image in there and it came back with something that was not in the 90th percentile of accuracy, then you, you have to use that as just one step in, in as part of your investigation. But that you in utter reliance on it, and then you do something to manipulate it, then now, now you're not now the the playing field is not level. And that I think that leads to uh, the point that you were making in uh, the article that you uh, recently wrote in Bloomberg Law, uh, where you're saying there needs to be some federal regulation on this. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the kind of regulations that uh, you would expect to see. I know you said there was uh, some federal legislation that was proposed pre pre pandemic. It kind of uh, took a back seat uh, once we went uh, into the pandemic. But uh, obviously, in the last three years, certainly the technology has advanced substantially. I'm I would suspect that the need for regulation is even stronger now than it was three years ago. So what what kind of regulations do you think uh, we should be seeing? So right now you'll you're seeing a, a, a scattering, a scattering, I would even say, of states and cities that have just tried to deal with what they're calling sort of biometric identification. So there are there there's the contingent that I'm okay if. Um, I have to be flagged and fingerprinted for certain activities. You know, fingerprint is 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 100% reliable. Okay, well, if I'm submitting to, I want to be admitted to the New York bar. I must submit to putting my fingerprints on file. I know for the purpose of which they are using this information, why they're collecting this biometric data, and the further purposes for which they can use it. The problem lies in the facial recognition technology, this, these are cameras that are in department stores at entertainment venues uh, that are just capturing your image without your knowledge and certainly without your consent and certainly without your understanding of the uses to which this will be put. When I go to the airport, I understand that I am agreeing <laughs> like explicitly that if I want to fly, part of the bargain is you get to capture my image and check it against maybe a no-fly list or some uh, uh, other dangerous character or use it as part of some other type of police-level investigation. You, you submit to that. that. That's one of the, the, the exchanges of getting on a commercial airline space. But do you do the same thing if you go into Macy's department store? Or is that the same contract? Are you put on the same type of notice and given the same type of consent? That's what really some of the federal legislation was leading to is you can't just take it without someone's knowledge, but you need actual consent, not implied consent. Like even if the, the bargain is that there's a big red sign in the front of the, your, your local Bloomberg's, if you're coming in our store, be aware we use FRT to scan folks. And this is part of and their purposes it is part of our theft mitigation process. You can agree to that bargain or you can say, wow, I just lifted a purse from here last week. So I'm gonna exit stage left. You get to make choices. Right now there are no choices and the commercial market is ramping up briskly and using this technology, again, for the 
um, a lot of risk mitigation and a beneficial purpose to make sure that they're looking after that someone is not coming in to commit a bad act. Okay, that that's all well and good, but you have to tell us that, and we should, as part of the public good, have some agreement to it. And there should be hefty fines associated with anyone who in, infringes on that potential potential right to privacy and freedom from surveillance. Well, let's let's dig into that a little bit, right? Because there's cameras everywhere. You've talked about stores, but they're in the streets. They're on lampposts. Um, oftentimes, they're used uh, not for anything nefarious. Oftentimes, they're used to help stop crime or to catch criminals. And so I would think that there would be a difference between somebody or some entity recording what's going on in a public space, which which a store certainly is a public space or a street is a public space for the purposes of, as you suggested, crime prevention. Um, and, and a difference between that and actually taking the 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 visuals that they uh, record and then using them for some other purpose, right? So um, I would think that it's not only the location of the recording and whether there's an expectation of privacy in that location, but also um, if there's some knowledge and expectation of how the the visual would be used, right? So most people, with, with the exception of your example, who uh, who lifts uh, you know, pocketbooks, most people don't have a problem with the fact that there might be some recording for crime prevention. In fact, it might make them feel safer. Um, but if it's being used for other purposes that they're not aware of, maybe some other commercial purposes, uh, that would be an issue. So how do we uh, filter between, you know, good uses and proper uses and acceptable uses and uses that might be unacceptable? I think you, 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 for me, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the expectation of privacy. If I am walking down Center City Street in Philadelphia, I have no expectation that that someone could not possibly capture my image for whatever reason. the The problem is when the technology lends itself to potential abuse, where you're not using it and collecting this biometric data for the sole purpose of doing this potential like theft or crime mitigation purposes, but then using it such that you are um, selling it to highest bidder and you, people can use it for stalking purposes. Uh, people could use it potentially to commit uh, identity theft and other manner of fraud. There, there are a whole host of, when you balance on the scale of potential bad uses than benign, I think a regulation can, point out and capture when we're trying to do something that is beneficial for society, which crime mitigation and, and hopefully prevention or apprehension of people who are who commit the crimes. It's like that makes sense to me. It's just when you talk about a completely unregulated state, which is where we are now, where at most New York City has a you must post a notice sort of requirement it still does not have any uh, strictures around what else you could be doing with that data. Therein lies, for me, will lie the problem. What about, uh, is there any regulation against taking someone's image 
and manipulating it. So it looks like they're saying or doing something that they didn't do. Um, I mean, it's it's gotten to the point, certainly you can see it in movies where with CGI, where they're, uh, it looks like they're doing all sorts of things. And that's obviously perfectly harmless and entertaining. But we've gotten to the point where you could make it seem as though someone was you know, in a different location and saying something that perhaps they never said and doing something that they never did. And it looks very incriminating, certainly. Um, is there any, uh, are, do we have any laws that might prevent that? Or or is that something also that we need to regulate? What you're talking about is the deep fake state. There, there is a creation now of deep fake using AI, um, not necessarily FRT. So this is a just complete potential manipulation of images or photoshopping images into certain things, um, doing a, a voiceover background sound for someone having their their uh, image move, even though they're not saying what what um, it is that the deep faked image is saying. And again, wholly unregulated. And it's like if you, you see that you know computers are creating these life like brand new people. And, and images, um, and they just New York Times recently ran an article uh, about that as well. You know, disturbing in that someone can be out there sort of creating this artificial population of people who are doing different things, or as you say, putting you putting you potentially in some compromising position. No, unregulated, absolutely. Like, that there is nothing to stop someone from creating an image of David Miranda and, you know, ha having him, you know, meet with, you know, the leader of North Korea and you guys are sitting down for a chitty chat. Uh, it, it, it also goes back for me that the cautionary tale is everyone believes what they see. And if you're creating these false images and especially making them so very realistic, utilizing this technology, when, when do we, put the parameters around when that's a good thing and when when or when you should not do it. So when you think about it, we're just gonna have to go back to old fashioned law, right? If someone is stealing my my image without my consent, you know, that that's that's copyright. So we'll, we'll go back and, you know, copyright will not allow you to do certain things and take my image without my consent. You're not allowed to re reproduce it because this, this space is my own. Um, we will have to go back to, you know, just intellectual property rights period when you think about those things didn't change just because we now have fancier tools that allow you to do different things um, and just good old fashioned slander and libel. Uh, th those those still apply, you know, even if you're creating this manipulated image of me uh, potentially saying and or doing something that I think is slanderous to my character. I'm pretty much still going to have a right of action. But is there anything particular about using AI to do it? No. I want to talk a little bit about this MSG case that's been in the news, right? And it's certainly, it's it's struck a chord, I think, um, uh, I think amongst the public, uh, particularly amongst attorneys, because attorneys were the ones that were specifically targeted here. Uh, this is a, a situation where MSG, which is shorthand for Madison Square Garden and its various affiliates, uh, is using facial recognition uh, software to prevent lawyers uh, in law firms that have litigation against MSG or its affiliates from entering MSG venues. And it's been highly publicized because uh, unsuspecting uh, lawyers have, have shown up to go to a basketball game or to go to 
Radio City with their children, and they've been through this facial recognition technology, they've been uh, precluded from entering um, at the door. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about what MSG did and and where we are with with that issue. So you want to know what I find ironic about MSG's use of the technology? They are following the a complete four letter of the New York City law. They actually sent notices to all the law firms that litigate against them and put them on notice, which was all they were required to do to say, I will be using this technology to ban anyone who is a lawyer at your firm. I don't care if they're litigating against me or not. If they are associated with your firm, he's like, oh, it was only 90 firms, but you did it. You put all 90 of those firms on notice to say, if you come to any of my, the, what I'll call public, quasi-public space venues, I reserve the right to, to escort you to the door, not, notwithstanding that you're not there for anything other than an entertainment purpose. This is a, a, a ban that we're going to institute and we're going to use this technology in order to enforce it. And you think about, let's think about the old school method of doing that. How many people do you think you could put on the door at a Knicks game to appropriately make sure that they single out the David Miranda's of the world? I can almost guarantee you that it will probably be 40%, 40% accurate, maybe. Eyewitness testimony, come now. It's like, it's very difficult. But now you've decided to weaponize facial recognition technology against an entire class. And you created a class by doing this of lawyers who happen to be litigating against one of your enterprises, representing someone who has a lawsuit against you. That, that's it. That, that, that's the bar for my wanting to exclude you from being able to come into my facility. And I have so many multiple levels of issue with just doing that, but that's the first level that we talked about of harm where you're using a technology that it's infallible for this purpose because you went to those law firm websites, scraped all of those images, that's what you use to train your AI system. So it was guaranteed that you're going to find all the lawyers who happen to have headshots on the law, uh, law firm sites, and you're going to able to be, be able to ban all of them. The technology worked flawlessly. It worked exactly how they intended it to work. And is that what we want? Is that a use for which a private sector individual should have and be able to weaponize against any class? So let's, let, let's take lawyers out of this. What about someone criticize you in the New York Post, New York Times? What, what, what if they say something bad about you as an individual? Are, are, are they going to go on the ban list? Where does it stop? If we do not, at this point, draw lines in sand and create regulation to stop it, that's the slippery slope. And as always, love talk about getting on that slope. But yeah. you can see where it can start to slide. Yeah, let's talk about it because, you know, the example that you gave, the more uh, traditional example, um, has been codified where, for criticism, right? So New York Civil Rights Law Section 40B went into place decades ago before facial recognition technology when theaters would want to preclude uh, a critic they gave a bad review. They'd say, you know what? You gave us a bad review. You can't come in anymore. And they actually codified that, that that's 
impermissible. And that law came up in the MSG case where the the judge, at least at the trial level, I know it's on appeal now, but at the trial level said that 40B um, would prohibit the wrongful refusal of admission to places of public entertainment where there's performances or music, but wouldn't necessarily prevent someone from going to a basketball game because that's doesn't come under 40B. Uh, so that seems uh, seems like, uh, at least in the past, that there was regulation that would prevent someone from somewhat arbitrarily precluding someone from entering their venue. The argument that I've been having with folks who um, are opposed to my uh, point of view on this or find it um, not as disquieting as I do, think on balance, private property rights should always trump privacy rights. So you're now putting at odds potential what the right of a private property owner can do versus what my potential First Amendment or just overall privacy rights might be. Yeah, and but we need to make a difference between private property, meaning like my house, or private property, meaning a public forum where the public is invited to come, buy tickets and come in, right? So if I want to preclude someone from coming in my house, I probably should be able to do that as my private property, just for whatever reason. I don't, I don't like the person. Right. But <laughs> exactly. for a public forum, if you hold yourself out as a public place of, uh, of, uh, of entertainment of some sort, where people are buying tickets, that would, that would seem different. Isn't there a difference between personal property and, and a public space? So. When you were mentioning the the um, the civil law, or at least the at trial level, when they started to, trying to do what what is what are the laws that could um, speak to what's right. happening in the MSG context, and there was uncertainty as to whether or not someone's uh, buying a ticket for a Nick game entitles them to be able to be there. So what you're talking about only is a limited license, right? That that's all a ticket really gives you is a limited license for that period of time to be on that particular personal property of right. someone else. It is still a private commercial property. It is not publicly held by anyone. This is just the owner of, you know, owner X. Well, can owner X set what the limitations are? Well, we've already prescribed that there are certain things that owner X cannot do, right? He cannot say, you're not coming in because we do not like black women to, to show up. It's like, as soon as you hit Title Eight, you are done. <laughs> so you, if right. you're going to hit any of the, the those defined classes, you're going to have a problem. It doesn't matter that it's your your private um, institution. Someone's going to be able to to make some claim against you. But in in this instance, he created this class by saying all lawyers in this you know who are doing this particular thing that we find offensive. Well, what's to stop any other? So commercial property space owner. And that's why I don't want to limit it to just what's happening at MSG, but what's what's happening when any private owner of a, a space, even if it, it could be considered part of the, the public good, sets these types of limitations on access. What when do we say mm, we need to put some some wheels around this? Let's let's circle this this particular usage such that it is. Uh, direct, intentional, and um, transparent and known to whoever it might be targeting or may impact. So 
in your view, if if some uh, an attorney is suing MSG, uh, does MSG have the the right to preclude that attorney and every attorney in 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 their law firm from going to a Knicks game or going to the music hall? So I come out on the balance of the right of privacy, the right to my own personal time, the right for me to be both a lawyer as well as being a, a separate parent or uh, a, 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 a spouse, a sister, a brother. I get to separate those things and those things shouldn't travel with me when I go to an entertainment venue. Like you, you've, you've now created something that classifies me as the one thing even if the one thing is not what I'm doing when I go up to show up at a Knicks or a Rangers game. That's, that's not the, the right of some individual, um, we'll call it semi-private or semi-public owner should be able to do. So, um, and we can get into this a little bit, and, and, and I know you're, you're familiar with this, um, that you know when you're involved in litigation, and both sides have attorneys and they're potentially going to court. There's, you know, formal procedures for discovery. And it's not permissible for an attorney necessarily to to go kind of undercover and try to uh, elicit information from uh, people that might have information about the case from uh, from others. And I I kind of think that MSG is in this particular instance, using that as uh, as an umbrella to cover everything. Now, if you have a litigation over a slip and fall, perhaps, or a contract matter against MSG, you know, there's not going to be any information that another attorney in the law firm is going to be even be potentially able to gather by going to a Knicks game. Yeah. So like the recent case, I rest ye assured that the mother who was traveling to see the Rockettes Radio City Christmas show was not there arming her two children with subpoenas for anyone <laughs> at Rockefeller Center. That, that, that's not what was happening. And this is not a laser focused you know, sort of battle against uh, this litigating class, but th this, it's way too overbroad of an approach to get at or, or potentially chastise those who or, like retaliate against those who may bring lawsuits against you like that that's not the what we intended is a, a, a useful uh means of, of leveraging this type of technology when it can be used in in a weaponized fashion it would seem as though the intent was to have a chilling effect uh that you know if you're an attorney that's in a law firm that's involved in msg then it, i guess uh, you're at war with them and uh you know you're gonna have to suffer um which is i'm sure something that the task force that you're involved in with the bar association is going to look at as to whether this would have a chilling effect on attorneys uh taking a particular case now obviously attorneys are uh subjects to you know they take an oath uh where they represent their clients diligently uh certainly many attorneys have been subject to more harmful things than not going to a a, a Knicks game, um, but as to whether that's uh, you know appropriate or not, um, I think that's something that the task force will, uh, I think, discuss. And we don't want to uh, have anyone be 
deprived of their right. And you do have a right to bring litigation if you're aggrieved. Um, and if you can't find an attorney to do it, um, that would, in effect, be uh, a denial of of someone's rights. Justice, absolutely. Um, I, I I'm also troubled by the implication that you know, from from my perspective, attorney professionalism, we we, we focus a lot on um, what we need to do when we are looking at the rules rules of professional conduct, uh, and one of them is being able to diligently represent your client. Uh, and in considering taking on a case, you also run your conflicts, uh, do a conflicts check within your firm. Well, now you're potentially abridging my right to how I effectively run my conflicts check because my conflicts isn't, well, maybe I need to root out someone who has season tickets to the Knicks before I can take your case. That's insane. That is not part of what we should ever have to do in order to decide to take on a, a new representation. Right. Well, Vivian Wesson, thank you very much for being with us here on Miranda Warnings and talking about uh, artificial intelligence and and facial recognition technology and some of the ways we might be able to uh, use it for good and and uh, regulate it. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you very much. And so I'm really happy to be able to spend some time with you, David. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. Always, always great talking to you. We have a uh, a somewhat lighthearted feature on Miranda Warnings called Music, Book, or Movie, where you can share with us uh, something of an artistic uh, element that's uh, important to you. Wow, uh, th thanks. So I am going to give a 100% thumbs up to uh, a book um, that was given to me called God, Improv, and the Art of Living. And one of the things that I have said repeatedly that has been the most powerful and instructive for my practice of law was participating in an improvisational comedy group while I was an undergrad. So we toured around Southern California doing what effectively, it was like, whose line is it anyway? Um, and it taught you how to be just completely flexible to put the words yes and in your vocabulary and be able to be reactive in the moment. And remember when I took the job working at this uh, religious organization, Presbyterian Church, it's like, so how, how do you sort of factor this improv skill with, you know, being like the, on the Christian side of life? It's like, God's doing nothing but improv when you think about it. It's like when he decides, it's like, yes, yeah, so Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, I'm going to turn you into salt if you don't. I'm like, salt, that, that, that's what you came up with, God? It, it, he, there is no like sort of magic blueprint to it. And, and if you think about uh, that, some of the world, some of the, this, this sort of diagram, people think that you, your whole world is mapped out for you. It, it, it's just simply, it, it's not true. And I love being able to read the interconnection between that my faith and and my my improv skills and how that really is uh, about the art of living. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to take a look. That's what I want to hear. Thank you very much, Vivian. You, you you stay well. This has been Miranda Warnings, a New York State Bar Association podcast. You have the right to subscribe, rate, and review.